Research shows that three times a week is better for building muscle, but also athletes, because they respond well to a lot of strength training, as well as a lot of different stimuli, benefit pretty well from just two times a week. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Uncut, the podcast about how to stay surgery-free and live a healthy lifestyle. I'm Dr. Tom Padilla, owner of the Doctors of Physical Therapy. It's a clinic that leads the U.S. in helping adults over 30 to avoid surgery and drugs and live an active, healthy lifestyle. If you're looking for ways to maximize not only the years in your life, but the life in your years, you're in the right place. We are committed to delivering information that will help you live life today and for many, many years to come. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Uncut. Today is a special day. We have our guest, Dr. Jesse Dupler, back in the house. Hi. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, Jesse. So um, I really wanted to bring uh, Dr. Jesse in today to talk about cycling and the injuries that can be avoided with cycling, common injuries that cyclists end up having, why they have those. Dr. Jesse has a background as a bike fitter, as well as her doctorate in physical therapy. And she works here at our clinic in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, at the Doctors of Physical Therapy. And a lot of the clients that she sees are cyclists. I'd love to have you just kind of talk about what you see and what these cyclists could avoid and give some helpful information to people out there hoping to uh, win the Tour de France or yeah, anything like that. Right. I'm, I'm your gal. So, <laughs> <laughs> What's your background when it comes to cycling? Let's, let's talk about your bike fitting days and all that. Yeah. So I started riding in college, actually, and then kept riding after college. I was a competitive cyclist for years, actually, out east. I used to race what's called cyclocross, which isn't really around here at all. But it's basically a sport the Belgians came up with to stay in shape uh, after road season. So it's a lot of riding really fast, basically, and bleeding from the eyes and running, uh, jumping off your bike and running up hills and all sorts of crazy uh, stuff. So it's super fun. Like through the woods? Um, yep. It's usually like a, it's usually, so cool. it's usually like a circuit, basically. You need usually snow or mud or you ice need for snow. it. Well, it's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's meant to be like a winter fall sport. So out here, it's not yeah. quite, riding in the sand is <laughs> not quite the same thing. So I did that for, gosh, five or six years, I think. And during that time, the bike shop that I raced for out in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, um, I also worked for them. So uh, I started doing bike fitting for them as well, too, which actually mm-hmm. was a springboard for me going to PT school as well, too, because bike fitting is a lot of seeing how people move and trying to address that and fixing what hurts um, and problem solving. So okay. uh, I did that for a couple of years as well, too. And it's just, yeah, it's really cool to have people come in and say, hey, this hip hurts or this is bothering me and figuring out a way to get them on the bike and be able to ride not only longer uh, without pain, but faster and stronger too. That's interesting. I never knew that like cycling was the springboard, as you call it, or like Mm -hmm. something that got you interested in biomechanics. Yeah, for sure. I was like, man, this is really cool how like I'm able to fix problems. I wonder what else I can do. Yeah, that's cool. The Uh seed is planted. Yeah, right. Exactly. So why do you love it? Why do you, what do you love about cycling? Oh gosh, how much time you got? Let's see. (laughs) Well, you know, having lived, I've kind of lived all over the U.S. now too as well. And it's a great way to explore wherever you live. It's a great way to get out and be able to cover a lot of miles, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. It's one of those sports too, that can be both a team and an individual sport. Like I rode by myself a ton, but I also had teammates that I rode with well too. And actually all of my best friends that I have with the exception of a couple that I've known since kindergarten, are all from cycling. It's a really good way to have relationships with people and a great way to get out and kind of see the world as well. It's like you can just work as hard as you want or as easy as you want to. So people get that runner's high or whatever too. But man, being on a bike and just pedaling down the road is just also, it's just great. Yeah, wind in your hair. Right, wind in your hair, just going crazy. So, (laughs) And then you get into mountain biking too. And that's a whole other story as well too. That's huge. Adrenaline, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I actually started mountain biking a lot more when I moved out here. And so 
Then you've got just like funky stuff you can do on a bike as well too. And, you know, crazy jumps and downhills and whatever else you want to get into. So that's, yeah. that's a whole nother level. That's also super fun. A lot of our clients that are cyclists allude to what you just alluded to, which is community, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like having those people that you can come back to. And like, that's for a lot of cyclists, like cycling is life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It tends to be like their only sport a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. I think the nice thing too, coming out of being a competitive cyclist and just riding for fun now too, you find that there's other people you can ride for fun and then it's just fun. And that's something you can come back to as well too, which is cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell me, are there big differences in setup for road bike versus mountain bike versus any other bike you'd use? Yeah. um, Depending upon, I would say the bigger differences come between what kind of riding you do. So like there's, you know, a quote unquote race fit, which is a pretty aggressive fit. As far as between mountain and road, you definitely have to consider where your weight displacement is. So Mm -hmm. on a mountain bike, you want to be further back because you don't want to obviously be so far forward that you then go hitting over the bars. So that's one of the big considerations there. Things like triathlon as well too. Triathlon, you want to have a little bit different so you can do things like save your hamstrings for the run a little bit more. So usually the saddle's a little bit lower. There's a couple different considerations depending on what bike you ride and what you want to accomplish. The biggest thing though being how does it fit you and how can you pedal on it? Because there's a lot of ways to, you know, they talk about people being quad dominant or whatever, and there's a lot of ways to create a bike fit in which people are only using their quads or they're Mm -hmm. only using their hamstring or they're not using their calf at all. So looking at their mechanics themselves is the biggest thing that contributes to what the bike fit's going to end up looking like. Got it. And is that done intentionally? Like someone wants to use more, more so their quads or wants to use more so the hamstrings or should there be like a balance? There should definitely be a balance. And I think we'll probably touch on this later, but that's where sometimes bike fitting can probably get it wrong is that they say, Oh, look, your quads are really strong. Let's bias things so we can use your quads some more. Or, you know, you don't have a much dorsiflexion. Let's bias it so you don't need it. So, um, which is <laughs> one way to that. do it. So, yeah. yeah so Just live the rest of your life on a bike. Don't walk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which unfortunately that's what happens when a lot of us do ride, you know, 20 hours a week, all of a sudden a lot of these uh, things start to crop up a lot. What are some things that cyclists either do or don't do that mm. end up leading to injury? The thing with cycling is it's more of an endurance sport typically. So you spend a lot of hours on the bike, and if, especially if you're racing or if you're riding a lot, you know, mm-hmm. you typically tend to spend a couple hours on the bike to get more than just like, you know, two or three miles in. That means there's a lot of time doing repetitive motion over and over again. And so the other problem with cycling is it's a one-dimensional sport. You go forward and that is it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens with cyclists a lot of times is they don't do any other sort of training. We see this in our practice all the time, right? Too, We see people as we get older stop rotating in general. We don't play as much. We don't move in different planes. Cyclists are no different. Their one sport mm-hmm. just propels you forward the entire time. And so we know that all of our muscles that stabilize us are also muscles that rotate us. So we see a lot of the same issues with people on the bike that we see with the people that come in our doors off the bike in that their small stabilizing muscles are not working very well. And so we're seeing problems with their bigger muscles as well, too. Mm-hmm. We'll see a lot of back pain, neck pain, with my cyclists and we'll see a lot of knee stuff as well too and we'll probably cover or maybe dive into more of why that might be uh later on but um a lot of things that people do or that my cyclists do is typically ride 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 rest a little bit ride some more don't do any strength training do no cross training and so uh <laughs> there's a lot of don't do right <laughs> Well, part of that too is a lot of times people will think, oh, well, at least I'm taking recovery days. But if right. your recovery day is still a day on the bike where you just pedal slower, you're still doing the same thing. And so finding a balance with what you do, finding other sports or other activities that you like to do, just something that makes you move differently is going to be the thing that benefits you the most when you're recovering or when you're trying to decide what else you want to add into your program. Awesome. What are some good types of cross training? Ooh, uh, anything else. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
Actually, swimming is a really great one because even though it is a forward and backward motion, there's a lot of hip rotation involved in it as well, okay. too. So swimming is a really good one. As far as cross-training and less recovery stuff, weightlifting is the best way you can go. Not only is strength training important for all of us, it's really helpful for cyclists. As we know, cycling is a power-to-weight ratio, basically. And so you can generate more power when you have more strength. I myself saw my times and outcomes and places increase uh, significantly when I actually finally started weightlifting. My coach had to convince me to, but uh, I was like, I'm a cyclist. I don't want to weightlift. I don't like doing this. Uh Um, And he was like, okay, two times a week, go weightlift. And I was like, holy cow, I'm faster. So um, it's really, really, exactly. Right. So it's really, really helpful. Um, in terms of performance, but also in terms of injury prevention as well, too. Awesome. And so the uh, weightlifting, I usually suggest, too, is stuff that's not just squats, deadlifts, um, bicep curls. Mm -hmm. It's about making sure you're moving in different ways so that we can make sure we incorporate all those muscles that we typically don't use as much as we need to or um, that we require. Is there a misperception in the cycling community about, um, and I'm just wondering because I've never heard anybody say this, but a lot of people that think that just by turning the resistance up or Mm -hmm. like hitting a harder hill or going on a harder ride, like that's going to translate into getting stronger, Mm -hmm. right? Is there that kind of mentality in the cycling or... Yeah, I think there's getting stronger actually understood to be needing to lift weights. Oh, yeah. No, probably not. So because there's, you know, different kinds of strength. And like if we go back to my power to weight ratio example, the biggest thing when, yeah, you go say do hill intervals is that you look, okay, am I faster at that? There's a couple ways to be faster at that. You can increase your power. You can decrease your weight. If you Mm -hmm. ride enough, you're going to decrease your weight. And so there is always some increase in muscle because it is still a sport in which you're pushing resistance. It also goes back to how are you getting that higher resistance? How are you actually generating that power? Typically what we see if you don't have the strength to generate it correctly Mm -hmm. is we'll see people dumping into their low back, overusing those quads again. We'll see a breakdown in the system because you haven't trained the system to be able to generate that power off the bike. And so generating it on the bike, you can do it that at the expense of a lot of other muscles. Got it. I know that there are a variety of injuries that our cyclists come in to see us for. Do you think that there are certain injuries that are more common than others? Mm-hmm. Or like, what do you tend to see most? The big hitters that we see a lot of in our, the rest of our population as well too, low back pain, neck pain, knee pain. Those are probably the three big ones. Low back pain is probably a little self-evident in the fact that you look at what we, how we hang out on a bike with that forward flex posture. Um, If you can't hold yourself well in that posture, there's going to be a lot of things that happen down the line. Similarly, if you work up the chain, when we are riding, we have to be able to look up and see where we're going. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, if we don't have the thoracic or the um, shoulder stability to do that, we end up hunching our shoulders and then trying to turtle our neck up, basically. Uh And so we start seeing a lot lot of neck pain with that as well, too. And then my other favorite saying about the knee is that the knee is the victim of the hip and the foot. Okay. And so a lot of times what we see is knee pain coming from either of those other two areas with our cyclists. We talked about how we don't have stabilization a lot of times in both our back and our hip. Cyclists will often lack the stability in their hips, and they will also lack a lot of, maybe not stability, but the correct motion in their feet. Because we as animals and humans were not meant to ride bikes. Everyone talks about how you look mm-hmm. for running and all that stuff, and we were meant to run, which is true. We were never meant to be clipped into a bike with a uh, hard shoe on it. And so we see a lot of adaptions from that or adaptations from that with our feet that we try to correct in ways other than strengthening. So mm-hmm. that's when uh, the bike fit starts to come into play a little bit more as well, too. Awesome. That's a great segue. One of the great things that I've seen you do is have people bring in their trainers mm-hmm. right, to do bike fittings in here to actually have a doctor of physical therapy, take a look, 
and make some adjustments. So what are some of the big factors and maybe even pet peeves that we can get into when it comes to bike fitting? Let's see. We'll start with pet peeves (laughs) and I'll get off my high horse. So (laughs) one of the biggest things that I see is I'll have cyclists come in and they'll say, yeah, so I had this bike fit and it was really great. And I look at their shoes and they've got a bunch of different things in them. Typically they'll have shims, which shims are basically Mm -hmm. just uh, wedges they can put in people's shoes to change how their foot interacts with the pedal and how their shoe interacts with the pedal. And so what happens is, let's take a common example. um, And we see this with people walking too. If we don't have hip stability, what happens or what translates down to our feet is that our feet tend to start to come in a little bit. They start to pronate, they start to flatten out for lack of a better term, which isn't, as we know, not really what happens, but for the purpose of this example. So what happens then is we start to push down on the pedal and we start to put a bunch of force through our knee over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. So if you can imagine a line from our hip to our foot, what happens is this line of force starts to go inward, basically, from the outside of our hip to the inside of our foot. Okay. What that does, it puts a bunch of pressure through your knee. Sometimes what fitters will do is we'll look at that problem. They'll say, well, what if we just change the angle of your foot and try and push that line out, basically? Okay. got it. And so what they'll do is they'll just bring the foot up or basically try and rebuild an arch artificially mm-hmm. to create that new line of force or trying to take some of the pressure off that knee. Now, we do this in PTL time, too. We always want to look at the cause instead of the symptom. And so the knee pain is a symptom. The foot and how it looks is a symptom, typically, of what's going on at the hip. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when people get fit, the fitters are addressing the symptoms in the ways that they know how and the ways to decrease pain. But they're continuing to propagate the problems further up the chain. And right, so typically, right. So typically it becomes kind of a search and destroy method in which people come back for another bike fit the year after and say, hey, but now this bothers me or now this bothers me. Got it. And so, um, cause everything's connected. So I do have an issue with, especially when I see people with all these really kind of funky setups, I do tend to moving on to, from that, what I will say is I do tend to use orthotics themselves a little more in cycling than I would with our normal population. Again, going back Mm -hmm. to the fact that cycling is not a natural movement in which we do. And so typically our, the bottoms, our shoes, our cycling shoes are carbon. And so they don't give us a whole lot of flex. And so Mm -hmm. oftentimes people with feet that don't have good arch support or they don't have arch strength, I will give them an orthotic, but I will also teach them how to use their foot. And so the difference being, if we just wedge someone All we're doing is basically propping them up. If I give them an orthotic and exercise to strengthen that foot, now we're actually keeping the foot in the position it needs to be, just supporting that correct position. That also starts to translate to better power uh, translation as well, too, which is, again, goes back to performance as well, too. What are um, some of the signs that someone can look for that uh, a bike fitting is not the answer? Bike fitting is not the answer. So, like, there's something else that's going on, huh? Yeah, like, so one of the things that you said that made me think of this question was, They come back the next year and there's something new. And then Mm. they come back the next year because there's something new. And it's easy to see how someone might get in the habit of believing that it is the bike fit. They they just need to keep tweaking things to get better. So Mm -hmm. what are some signs that people can look for that indicates like something deeper is going on? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you might have just said it right there in the fact that there's things that just keep cropping up. And Mm -hmm. even if something people do something like took time off the bike or changed their training schedule and things still keep cropping up. It tells us there's something with the mechanics itself. I guess a great example of that would be if you look at someone's bike fit and someone's pedaling and their hips are shaking a lot side to side, Mm -hmm. that can mean two things. And typically it's both these things, but it could mean their saddle's too high or it could mean that they lack hip stability. Now, if we decrease your saddle height and say, okay, let's go try that, 
and they come back and they're like, oh, well, my back still hurts or whatever it is. Oftentimes it's because we need to look at what the source of it is and not so much the symptom. I think a lot of that typically is what we'll see is we'll just see even things cropping up or the same thing cropping up as well too. Okay. Because we fix uh, one way to make you look better on the bike, but not the way that made you feel bad on the bike in the first place. What are some of the biggest factors during a bike fitting? Like what should somebody who has a bike that's set up correctly like mm-hmm. feel? Ooh, one of my favorite things is if I put someone on their bike and I tell them to hover over their handlebars, do they have the core strength to do it or can they not? There is, and I think there's still a little of the school of thought, but for a while there was a school of thought of make your bike fit as aggressive as possible, which means put your saddle up as high as possible and slam your stem and slam your bars down as far for as possible. For aerodynamics. Yeah, yeah, so for aerodynamics. But then if you think about where your hips are and where your diaphragm becomes in that position, mm-hmm. you can be as arrow as you want, but if you can't actually breathe, there's no way you're creating any power or strength through that. And yep. so I used to see that a lot. And I used to say, okay, take your hands off those bars and try and hold yourself in that position. And it's pretty much impossible. And Mm -hmm. so one of the better factors in doing that is, okay, can I hold myself in this position? Because it goes back to the fact that we need stability in order to generate force. And if we aren't stable enough to maintain our positioning on the bike without holding ourselves up with our arms, there's no way that we can create the power that we are capable of when we're actually pedaling or putting forth efforts. That's a great tip. Okay, let's jump back to working out. I know that the only reason you lift weights is because you love to cycle, right? You say that Mm -hmm. all the time. So what should it look like? What should someone's uh, training program, just like the bare bones, Mm -hmm. like if they wanted to make sure that they were cross-training appropriately? Uh, We'll cycle and do my job. Because also as a PT, I don't think I'd be able to do my job if I wasn't strong as well too. So those are the only two things, being employed and having fun are the only two reasons that I uh, (laughs) cycle. So, or that I lift weights. So so some of the well-rounded things are, and I think a lot of times too, to cyclists don't want to give up the time they have on the bike to work out instead or to do something else instead. And so typically what I did actually was only two times a week. So research shows that three times a week is better for building muscle, but also athletes, because they respond well to a lot of strength training, as well as a lot of different stimuli benefit pretty well from just two times a week. Now we should see, and it depends also as well, a little bit of tangent here, but where you are in your season as well too. Are you racing? Is this an off season? Because what we want to see is a little bit more endurance and strength work during the off season. As we get onto the on season, making sure that we're not tiring out those muscles. And again, it depends also as what kind of your season is. Are you doing three hour road races? Are you doing an hour cross race? So a lot of these things factor in, but as a broad generalized statement, like I alluded to before, moving in different planes, yes, Mm -hmm. squats are good. Yes. Deadlifts are good as far as gaining raw power, but we need to make sure you're lifting and doing things that aren't just propelling you forward. So I like to do a lot of things. One of my favorites, my favorites, I mean, exercise I hate the most is backward lunge (laughs) twist. Because it puts you in a position in which you have to use your entire posterior chain. You have to balance yourself. It's a split leg activity. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to rotate as you do that activity. So that's a really good one. Anything which you have to cross your body. A lot of people are familiar with things like wood chops. Those Mm -hmm. are a really good one. Core workout that requires you to rotate as well, too. We have a great BOSU workout that you came up with (laughs) that Uh we give to some of our (laughs) patients that they hate, but it's very helpful. But I think also, too, the um, people and cyclists especially oftentimes think, okay, if I just do some core work, you know, towards the end of my day or whatever, that'll be enough. Your core begins and ends at your trunk, but then also connects to everything else you do with your legs and your upper body. You can't have one without the other. And so making sure that you're strong overall and strong in every kind of movement that you do. So making sure you're also doing a lot of single leg stuff is also really important as well too. Our right and our left actually will move differently. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that they're both strong. So oftentimes we can see these differences in leg strength if we don't pay attention to that. Awesome. What are some actionable tips that you could give to anyone out there that's a cyclist dealing with injury? 
Well, I might be a little biased, but I think PT would probably be a really great way to go. Might be a good so, way, yeah. yeah. So I will tell you an unfortunate story about a cyclist who became a PT in which she had knee pain for about three, four years. This is me. And I, <laughs> it's like, it sounds familiar. Uh, right. And yeah. on, on the bike, I just kept having knee pain, just kept having knee pain. And I was like, no, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to be okay. I'll just, you know, decrease my <laughs> four years later. Uh, right. Four years later. And I went to, I even went through PT school and was still like, I'll probably be all right. Uh-huh. And finally I got to the point where I actually had a lot of meniscal irritation and some ligament, uh, ligament dyslaxity from it as well, too. And so then I uh, ended up getting some prolotherapy from one of our partners, Dr. Matt, which was awesome. And that paired with PT got me back to running and riding like I wanted to, but I missed races because of it. And I didn't really think anything of it other than, oh yeah, I'll just rest a little bit and then I'll get back on the bike and my knee will be fine. I think a lot of cyclists think, yeah, these aches and pains are just normal and I'll rest and then I'll come back because I overtrained or whatever. And it's not normal and typically it's a warning sign. Mm -hmm. And so the big thing too, and this is typically how cyclists will come to me, my golfers as well too. It's that when it starts to affect your performance, you will finally do something about it. I have a golfer where her left shoulder hurt a lot, but she didn't come see us until her right shoulder affected her swim. Cyclists the same way. They're like, I I know pain. I'll deal with pain. But the big thing is, what is your body trying to tell you? And how it relates to performance is if your knee hurts and you can't drive through that pedal, there's no way you're generating the power you'd be able to generate. It also means your knee probably hurts because you don't have hip stability. Mm -hmm. If you don't have hip stability, you're not able to use your glutes appropriately. If you can't use your glutes appropriately, you also can't support your trunk well. And so it goes up and down the chain with how many things are affecting that knee pain that you're just trying to ignore. So the biggest thing really is honestly getting some sort of movement screen. PT, PT plus a bike fit's a really good way to go. Mm -hmm. Even if you just had a bike fit too, the other issue too is our bodies change. So those professional bike athletes will get fit three times a year at least. So it depends on where you are again in your training cycle constantly having eyes on you that are professional and able to see what the movement is that's bothering you, how to fix it, and how to maintain it and make sure it doesn't come back as well, too. So we're movement experts here. That's what we do. And if I get to see cyclists actually moving as well, too, like that's just one of my favorite parts of my job is I actually get to see them on the bike and say, hey, X, Y, and Z is going on. We saw this on the table with some of your measurements Mm -hmm. we took as well, too. Let's make sure that we correct all of this. Awesome. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. PT and cycle. I'll talk about it all day long. So. Yeah, I love it. I can tell you're passionate about it. Thank you so much for uh, for coming back on the podcast. Oh, this was fun. Thanks for having me, Dr. Tom. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, guys, if you like this episode, make sure you like it, share it, write us a review so that we can reach more people. If you want more helpful tips and tricks, you can always go to our website, thedoctorsofpt.com, where you can catch other episodes of this podcast, as well as go over to our blog, where we do a lot of information on uh, different types of injuries and how to overcome them. And remember, like Dr. Jesse said, don't let things go until you can't do things that make you happy. Why wait for tomorrow when you can live life today?